Hey, listen, I really ought to take the full time just to say thank you uh, for all that you have meant to Ozark Christian College down through the years. Don't think that we are not aware that we uh, uh, could exist without the help and support of faithful congregations of people that believe in our mission. And uh, you, Community Christian Church, have been one of the best and most faithful. And so I say thank you. But I won't take the whole time to thank you. You just take that as a genuine short thank you because we've got work to do today. Don't you love obvious answers to prayer? I'm talking about the ones where you pray and boom, there it is. Uh, We sang earlier, fire from heaven. God sent fire from heaven. I love those kind of obvious signs of how God answers prayer. I'll be straight with you this morning. I think one of the reasons I love the obvious, miraculous, majestic kind of answers to prayer is because they're a little bit rare in my life. Uh, my prayer life may be a little bit more like some of yours. I, I, it, it's a little bit less spectacular. I can give you one example. There aren't very many audiences that frighten me. Uh, I teach a room full of 75 freshmen at 7 a.m. in the morning. Old Testament history. What I'm saying to you, community Christian, is I ain't scared of you. <laughs> uh, you look like pleasant people that love Jesus, and I'm thrilled to be here with you. Hey, there is one audience that really just frightens me right down to my socks. Uh, elementary school kids. I was asked to speak to a junior camp years ago, and I have never invested more prayer time in that uh, one sermon in all my life. I prayed, dear God, these are going to be seven, eight-year-old hardened sinners. I don't know what you want to accomplish with them through my message, but God, just give me some kind of sign when it's over. Just let me see some kind of reaction, some assurance that everything has been successful and I've, I've pleased you and that I've helped them. And I prayed and prayed and prayed that. I, I delivered my message. We had a little invitation time, which was just for kids to come forward and tell us what was on their heart, what they wanted to be prayed for about, and if they wanted to learn more about Jesus, etc. And so I thought, well, that'll be my sign. I'm just, if I could just get one child to step out. Sure enough, I, I, gave the, I extended the invitation. We started singing the song, and an eight-year-old hardened sinner by the name of Timmy, I still remember his name, started down the aisle, and internally I thought, God, you're good. Thank you. As everybody else is singing, I leaned down and I said, Timmy, what's on your heart tonight, buddy? He said, Griff, could you announce that I've lost my comb and my mama's going to kill me if I don't get it back? <laughs> Well, Lord, it wasn't quite the reaction I was looking for, but maybe I wasn't specific enough. Hey, listen, that's why I am so taken by a story in 1 Kings chapter 18. You know the story. Elijah stood on Mount Carmel. He had called the prophets of Baal and Asherah together for a battle of the gods. And he said, you pray to your gods, I'll pray to mine. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And Elijah prayed, and the fire fell down from heaven and consumed his sacrifice, and the dirt around it, the text says. And I think, wow, what obvious answers to prayer. I've got a question for you this morning. It, it, it's, pretty, it's a pretty simple question. Why do prayers get answered? I think about that when I think about Elijah and what happened there 850 years before Jesus. What was going on 850 years before Jesus is King Ahab. King of God's people, Israel, 
had decided to start compromising Jehovah God worship with Baal and Asherah worship. He sort of mixed the two. He sort of made everything culturally right. Can you, can you identify with the time? Compromise. And Elijah didn't like it. And I am so taken by a prophet, a man of God, who would stand and say, the God who answers prayer, he's God. Now, you, you know a little bit about Elijah, so let me just kind of think through some questions. I'll, I'll just ask some questions this morning. Could he have got, maybe his prayer was answered because he was so incredibly honest or committed to truth. Ahab had enlarged the slide into idolatry. He had begun to mix religions that the earlier kings had begun. And in response, Elijah, among other things, had said to the king, I'm going to pray and there will not be rain again in the land until I say so. In other words, King Ahab, I'm going to bring your country to destruction through a drought. Well, King Ahab didn't appreciate that. And that's why the next time he saw Elijah, uh, chapter 18, verse 17, when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Listen to what Elijah said. I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Hey, Israel's in a drought. The king sees Elijah, the prophet, the man of God, walking toward him, and he says, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Calls the man of God the troubler of Israel because they're in a drought. Have you ever noticed how when, uh, when officials or celebrities or people of renown get in some kind of trouble, uh, they generally will begin to accuse the folks who are pointing out the errors. We call it a witch hunt sometimes. He blames Elijah, you troubler of Israel, and Elijah says, I am not the problem here. You and your family are. You have offended Jehovah. It reminds me a little bit of my favorite ex-baseball player evangelist because I only know of one in history, Billy Sunday. Have you heard Billy Sunday's name? Major League Baseball player who gave it up to travel the nation and to preach for God. He was a pretty straight shooter. He offended a whole lot of folks. Billy Sunday said one time, they tell me I rub the fur the wrong way. I don't. Let them turn the cat around. <laughs> His way of saying the truth doesn't change, and I will tell it the way I know it. How honest. How honest. That's what Elijah said. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. I love Elijah's personality even more when he becomes painfully sarcastic. Here's what he says in verse 26 when they get on the mountain. And the Baal prophets are praying that nothing's happening. Verse 26. They called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Elijah started trash talking. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's in deep thought. Or busy, or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Hey, folks, David Letterman never did it better. Surely he's a god. Maybe he's resting. Actually, some translations translate that. Maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe your god is taking a bathroom break. Where is your god? But no one answered. Uh, it surprises no one who knows me well 
why a brutal commitment to honesty impresses me so much. Because I have trouble, I have trouble saying the hard stuff that needs to be said sometimes. I was in preaching ministry for 20 years at a little church called Racing Christian Church south of Joplin, Missouri. Uh, I did not do in-depth counseling. I would listen to people a time or two, and then I would immediately get them to a place that I knew could help them because I, was, I knew I was too pastoral and gentle and, and, uh, and loving to, to help. Pretty soon, a good counselor... Now, you need to be a good ear. You need to be, you need to be sensitive. But eventually, a good counselor has to say things like, you know what? You've got to stop that. That's just stupid. And I just didn't have that in me. I was the kind of counselor that if you came to me and said, Griff, I've got something terrible to say to you. Uh, I've just recently murdered my grandmother. Well, I was the kind of counselor that would say, hey, listen, we've all got flaws. <laughs> Let's not dwell on the past. We've got to move forward. <laughs> I mean, I just, I just did not have that truth-telling harshness in me. And so I read here and I say, way to go, Elijah. And I'm going to say to you, way to go, Community Christian Church. You believers who recall that according to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, the church is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. If our society is going to hear truth, it's going to be from the church. Way to go, community Christian, who remembers that Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, it is by speaking the truth in love that we grow up in all aspects into him who's the head, that is Christ Jesus. You know what? Commitment to truth is a godly ideal. I don't think it's why Elijah's prayer was answered. He was courageous and committed to truth, but I'm not sure it's why he got his prayer answered. So let me ask this second thing. Could it have been because he was so incredibly faith-filled? Now, you can read courageous there if you want to. Faith-filled. Look at verse 19. He was, after all, the one who marched into the king's presence and started the showdown. He said, you get your prophets, I'll show up on the mountain, we'll have a contest. Verse 19, now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophet, prophets of Baal. I think I brought up a, a picture of what archaeologists have found. Uh, it, that's that's uh, one of the forms of Baal that have been un uncovered in Palestine from back during the day. You bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. I found, I found an example of her as well. Those are the Asherah prophets, the female equivalent of Baal. Ahab and Jezebel, those were their two gods. Those were the gods they supported. You bring the prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said... How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Now, whether Elijah stood with a group or whether Elijah stood alone as the mouth of Jehovah, he was confident enough in God to say and to believe and do the right thing, even though... I'm going to suggest to you here, he was outnumbered, outclassed, and folks, I think he was outprayed. Now, he was outnumbered, but it didn't matter. Look at verse 22 again. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now, there probably were a few Jehovah prophets hiding throughout Israel, 
But on that mountain, on that day, Carmel, Elijah was the one and only representative of Jehovah. But it didn't matter to Elijah. It didn't matter to Elijah whether Jehovah would win the popular vote in Israel or not. It didn't matter to him whether he was well supported by other people in his beliefs or no one else stood by him in his lifestyle and beliefs. He thought God's way was the right way whether everyone agreed or no one agreed. He was outnumbered. Now, he was also outclassed, and here's why I say that. The Baal and Asherah prophets, after all, were the prophets of the king and queen of the nation, the most respected civil leaders in the nation. They were also the most numerous and respected religious leaders of the day. And they stood in opposition to him, but he did not care that the class of culture stood against him and that he would have seemed somewhat like a bumpkin out of step with the society. His message was, I don't care if the leaders and upper crust of society agree with me or not. I don't need to be accepted. And he called out to the crowds in verse 21, how long will you waver between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Now he was outnumbered. He was outclassed. And you may be surprised I say this. I think he was outprayed. I think the Baal prophets prayed circles around Elijah. Listen to their obvious sincerity and enthusiasm. Verse 26. They called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. They prayed for hours. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. They danced around the altar they made. They were enthusiastic. Verse 28. They shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Now, in case you think these pagan idolatrous prophets were not sincere, you didn't read it closely, they began to draw blood as a way of saying, we mean what we're saying here. We want the attention of our God, Baal. And Elijah said they began to draw blood. Uh, I've seen some pretty enthusiastic, emotional, uh, drawn-out prayer meetings, haven't you? And that's all right. But I've got to tell you, if volume and quantity of words and enthusiasm would get results, the Baal prophets would have gotten results. But I seem to recall Jesus, who taught something like this in his model prayer. And as a matter of fact, he taught it in contrast to long, wordy praying. Do you remember what he said? Don't pray like the pagans who believe they will be heard for their many words. Don't babble on. Instead, pray this way, Matthew 6. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Read it sometime. Don't pray like the pagans who believe they'll be heard for their many words. But instead, our Father who art in heaven, pray this way. Elijah was outnumbered, outclassed, outprayed. He refused to be swayed in his faith and his courage. He stood firm. 
Now, his faith and his courage are good traits, but I'm going to suggest to you they're not why his prayer was answered. So let me ask a last question about this. And I'll explain this one just a little bit. Could it be that his prayer got answered because he was so experience-centered? And here's what I mean by that. Elijah was absolutely certain that if God was true and real, it would work in life. He had, he had no qualms about the fact that if God was God, he could show up in life. He didn't mind putting the truth about God on display in life. He knew it would work, and he knew he would win out. Here was his challenge, verse 24. You call on the name of your God, I'll call on the name of Yahweh. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Now, if I was going to attach a philosophical label to that, I would say Elijah was being pragmatic. He was a pragmatist. Pragmatism is just that philosophy that if it's practical and works in life, then it's right and it's real. Now, hang on. There are dangers to pragmatism. I know that. Just because something appears to work and be effective in life doesn't necessarily mean it's right or it's good. Uh, placebos are a reality in the medical field, are they not? Some people take something that is nothing more than a sugar pill for illness, and they are healed by it. Does it mean the placebo was a real medication? Absolutely not. So I know pragmatism is no real test of truth. I know placebos are fraud. And I also know this, fellow believers, a life of faith, think about this, a life of faith and trust in God, by definition, means there won't always, or maybe even often, be bold demonstrations of God in life. I want you to think about that. We do not live by knowledge or sight, the scriptures say. We live by trust. And I know that true believers go for long periods of time with no visible, obvious, majestic evidence that God is at work. Right about that? Sometimes, and aren't you thankful we see those? But to live a life of faith means you keep trusting whether you see it or you don't see it because you know he is there. And I also know the only real demonstration we need was the day that Jesus Christ walked out of his tomb alive and he's Lord. Paul says, Romans 1, 4, he was declared with power to be the son of God by the resurrection from the dead. That was God's demonstration that Christ is and he's Lord. And I know that's all we need. And I also remember that Abraham went 25 years from the promise of a son to the visible evidence that God had answered his prayer. 25 years. But he kept on believing. I have to admire a prophet like Elijah who was not afraid of saying, however, that if his God was true, it would prove itself out in life. If God is God, Elijah's idea is the false will fail and the true will prevail. I've got to admire that because I'm sure, I'm not sure, that I would ever have the courage to say to, a, to, say to anyone, you pray and I'll pray, and my God will win. I admire it because I'm so often afraid to offer God so boldly. But could I remind you something? 
we follow a Savior who said things like this. Drink this, and you'll never thirst again. Eat this bread, you'll never hunger again. Ask, and you will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Uh, Jesus made some pretty bold promises, and you and I can trust in those. Well, committed to truth, courageous in spite of being alone, and pretty experience-oriented, those are all good reasons to get a prayer answered. But are any of those the reason Elijah's prayer was answered? I've got to say no. His honesty and commitment to truth, his courage, his confidence that God's way works, I don't think any of those are why his prayer was answered. But I do think I caught a hint as I read precisely why Elijah's prayer got answered. Look at verse 29 describing the Baal prophets after they prayed. There was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Community Christian Church, don't let me just blow you away here with my depth. Do you know why their prayer was not answered? There was no one on the other end of the prayer. No one heard. No one paid attention. No one answered. Their prayer, aren't you glad you came today? That's just mind-blowing, wasn't it? Their prayer did not get answered for the same reason if I tell my two-year-old grandson, hey, would you hand me that toy off the floor? Hand me that doll off the floor. I might get the doll. But you know what? If I said to the doll, hand me my two-year-old grandson, it's never going to happen. Why? Because the doll's not real. My grandson is. Nothing makes conversation less effective than no one on the listening end. Back when my son was playing a Little League Baseball, I, I, I don't remember exactly what age, but he was, I suppose he was 9 or 10 or so. Parents, if you've raised Little Leaguers, then you have read the parenting manual, and uh, you know the rules. Uh, following ball games, uh, this is Section 3, Paragraph 2 on page 247 of the parenting manual. Following Little League Ballgreens, you simply must stop by Dairy Queen and or an acceptable equivalent. Am I right or wrong? No, okay, yeah, I thought so. Uh, I, I thought you in Kansas used the same manual we use over there. Hey, my son's team had just been blown away on our local Little League field by a visiting team. I had never seen the little pitcher on the opposing team. I've never seen a little kid like him who could pitch like that. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. This little kid could throw the ball just hard enough to be intimidating. To get it to the plate, really is what I mean. He was good enough. He could occasionally throw a strike. He was wild enough that my son's team spent most of the day batting with this posture. Eyes firmly closed, pulling the leg out of the batter's box, swinging and missing that far off the end of the bat. I think maybe two people dribbled something into the infield off of our team that, against that little pitcher. My son struck out three or four times, which also leads me to say the umpires were obviously having trouble. You know that wouldn't happen. Following the game, we did the thing. We stopped at Dairy Queen. As we were eating our ice cream, I looked across the restaurant, and there, seated across from us, was the mom and the dad and that little opposing pitcher, whom I had never seen before until that game, 
didn't know who they were. I, when we finished, I sent Mike and Sally on after the car, and I said, listen, I've got to go over here. I've got to, I've got to tell that kid good game. Now, by the way, community Christian, this is not my personality at all. I, it is painful for me to intrude into anyone's family space and time. And I walked up to their booth, and I even did the... <coughs> and finally, you know, they looked up, and I said, listen, I'm so sorry. This is not like me. I, I just, I'm sorry for interrupting your family time, but I had to stop. My son's team is the team that your son, and I looked right at it. I said, my son's team is the team that your son just blew out of the water over on the ball field. And I said, I had to stop by your booth and just say, and I looked right at him, and I said, young man, I've never seen anything like you at this age. I said, I hope you love the game all your life because I've been a lifelong baseball fan, and I hope you love it. I said, as long as you love it, you keep working hard because you have something special. And I looked at mom and dad again, and I said, again, I apologize for interrupting your time. And I left. On a Tuesday evening, the next Tuesday, I heard the phone ring, and I heard my wife say, yes, he's here, which always causes me to go, yes, he's here. She started walking the phone toward me, and I'm doing the thing. <laughs> that bothers me. <laughs> I don't know who it is. She handed me the phone. I said, hello. And it was a female voice on the other end that said, is this Griff? I said, yeah, this is Griff. She said, Griff, I don't want to scare you. Immediately, I was frightened. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, it chilled down my back. She said, I don't want to scare you, but uh, my name is Dee. You stopped at our booth at Dairy Queen a few days back and met us and complimented my son on a baseball game. Do you remember that? And I said, yeah, I remember that, dude. She said, well, I asked a little girl behind the counter, does anybody know that man headed to his car? And a little girl said, yeah, that's Griff. He's our preacher. And she gave me your phone number. She said, Griff, again, I don't want to scare you. Again, I'm scared. But she said, let me tell you a little bit. My husband and I are having some marital difficulty. It's not why I called you. We may or may not be able to hold it together. She said, I've got another son that you didn't meet who's in trouble with drugs. It's not why I'm calling you. We may or may not be able to salvage him. She said, I was just diagnosed with a small bit of cancer. It's not why I'm calling you. I may or may not be able to be cleansed of my cancer. It's not why I'm calling you. She said, let me tell you why I'm calling you. For two months, every night in my yard as I water my uh, flowers, I have prayed this prayer. God, if there is a God, I need someone to show me how to have life. And she said, you are the man. I think I said something faith-filled like, are you sure? <laughs> she said, yeah, I'm sure. Two or three weeks in a row, Dee came to my office on a Tuesday afternoon, and we studied, and I didn't do anything except talk to her about the cross of Jesus Christ and how much God loved her and what Jesus had done for her. I don't keep a lot of mementos from ministry because I would tend to be a pack rat, and we just have to keep building rooms and things. So I, don't, I don't keep you know, letters. I try to enjoy them as a blessing from God and let them go. That's the way I try to do it. But I do have a small shoebox in the bottom of my closet, and in that shoebox is a note that simply says this. I got it the week after the was baptized into Jesus. 
has said, Dear Griff, uh, thank you for introducing me to the one who gives real life. I will love you forever. Isn't that a great word? I will love you forever. D. Now, these prayers did not get answered because Griff is so brilliant or spiritual. I was a baseball fan, didn't have a spiritual thought in my mind. Dee's prayer got answered for one reason, because every night as she watered her flowers and prayed, God, if there is a God, there was a God. And I've been successful driving over here today. If you walk away with nothing more than the next time you pray, having the thought go through your mind, God, you are. Father, I thank you that you alone are God. I thank you that you invite us to come boldly before you and present our requests. Let our hearts be known. You know them already. We love you and thank you for caring about the things we care about. Please help us care more about the things you care about. But mostly today, we praise you because you are. It is in the name of our Savior we pray. Amen. Amen.